Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, we appreciate you joining us for our latest podcast. This comes before the World Series begins, so we thought it would be a good time to kind of look at what's happened to this point in the postseason and also look forward from not only a national perspective, but from a Rays perspective too. And joining me is a person who has a pretty good handle on all of it. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks very much for a few minutes. Anytime, Neil. You know I love talking baseball with you, especially in the offseason. Well, it, it should be a busy offseason, but I want to get to, first, let's get to the two teams that have advanced to the World Series um, in Houston and Philadelphia. And let's begin with the Astros. I think based on what I saw the last couple weeks of the regular season, I'm not surprised at all, maybe a little surprised they didn't lose a postseason game, but they were far and away the best team that I saw all year. I thought Dave and Andy felt the same going down the stretch, and I think you probably thought so too, yes? No doubt about it. I mean, we we did not see the Braves this year. We did not see the Dodgers this year, so you have to kind of put that you know caveat on it or just say in the American League, but by far they were the best team. And, and the way they dismantled the Yankees kind of showed it because that's what I thought they did in those games against the Rays also where like, as soon as there was a crack, as soon as there was a mistake, they seized upon it. They took advantage, uh, kind of a relentless type offense where, you know, maybe not every single guy was hot, but there was always somebody, you know, every two or three batters, there was somebody to pick up the guy ahead of them. Obviously they're pitching, you know, they were using uh, third and fourth starters in both one of the Rays series. And, you know, obviously even in some of those games against the Yankees and they just were dominant and then not, obviously had enough bullpen arms to back it up. So, Totally agree. By far the best team in the American League is playing in the World Series. Yeah, sometimes it's the best team. Sometimes it's the hottest team. I think in Houston's case, it's both. And I think on the other side, for Philadelphia, they are the hottest team right now. I don't know that they're the best team. They have a lot of talent, as we've seen in the postseason, but they've also gotten hot at the right time. And maybe one game has swung everything, and that is their first game against St. Louis. I mean, they scored six runs in the ninth inning. Think of how different things might have been if they didn't win game one. Yeah, because, you know, in those three-game series, as you, we've seen, and you know, only one of them went the full three games, they can change very quickly. And sure, if they'd lost that game, you could definitely have made a case that St. Louis would have had the momentum, could have eliminated them, and that would have been it for the Phillies. They wouldn't have even played a home game. And, and yet here, part of the narrative is what an incredible home field advantage Citizens Bank Park has become for them. You know, we witnessed that, obviously, in the 08 World Series. Uh, when the Rays were up there in, in terrible weather and in, in not so terrible weather, it's even more so. So 
Uh, it, it's been a, a great run for the Phillies. It's some interesting points to be made for them, too. You're right, 87 wins, one fewer than the Braves had last year when they went on the incredible run to win the World Series from the National League side. So it's been done before. I do think they got hot at the right time. I think they are a team that plays a lot with confidence. I mean, you go through that bullpen and you look individually and no one in that, you know, you look through there, you're like, why are these guys good? I mean, Jose Alvarado was a Ray for a long time. He wasn't very good when he was here. Andrew Bellotti was a Ray way back when. I mean, these guys don't jump out at you, but the way they're used, obviously the managerial change had a huge effect on them, kind of calmed them down. And we've seen them take off in a great run. And I saw one interesting point, and it's something that's been made said about the Rays in a different way, but that the Phillies may be the rare team that was built more for the postseason than for the regular season. And is that based on the fact that they've got stars like Bryce Harper in the lineup, or why do they feel that they're built more postseason than regular season? I, I think because they've got a number of, of stars or star quality players, big game players who, you know, sluggers who get hot and cold that aren't going to necessarily carry you a guy. Um, I'm just trying Reese to think Hoskins. Hoskins, Castellanos, Schwarber, guys that maybe aren't going to give you that consistent performance throughout six months, but can obviously hit the ball out of the ballpark when it matters most, can step up big in big moments. Obviously, you've got the superstar in Bryce Harper. You've got the two starters, maybe not the depth and the rotation that other teams have, but the two guys that in shorter series can really come up big for you. So I think it's been a number of things, but I just thought that was an interesting point only because we've talked about with the Rays, and it's been raised, and, and Eric Neander's entertained the question, are they built more for the regular season than the postseason? Here's a team that maybe has kind of done it totally differently. Does some of what the Rays do get validated by the Phillies getting to the World Series, and that is Eric Neander has always said, and I think you've, you've written about it a, a fair amount of the times, you want as many bites of the apple because if you get hot at the right time, you can make that run. And here is Philadelphia, who maybe hasn't had that many bites of the apple, but they got hot at the right time and they made that run. Does it validate it? How do you look at it basically through that lens? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Neil. And, and you know, both the Rays and the Phillies were the two six seeds. Neither one would have been in under the old format. Now you have to, I, I put a little asterisk on that because if there wasn't a six seed, teams may have played things. Certainly the Rays would have played things differently down the stretch there. If there wasn't that third wild card, they're not resting guys uh, as much as they are down the stretch. They're trying to win that, what would have been the second wild card. So, it's not exactly a parallel, but you know both teams got in because the rules changed this year. When Eric Nander explains that, part of his explanation is they don't want to do a tear down uh, and rebuild. They want to stay consistently good every year and get in and see where it leads them. I think this is a great example, just as the Braves were last year. I mean, it's two years in a row now that a team with the, the lowest number of wins on that side of the bracket has gotten all the way to the top, right? At the same time, I can also argue as close as then the Rays are for things going right, because look, they were this close to, you know, all they need is one swing against Cleveland to swing that whole situation. We saw the trouble that Cleveland brought the Yankees, but it does seem that everyone's at a distance from Houston right now in the American League. And how do you make that ground up? Because that is critically important if you want to get where you want to go. Well, you could say they just need to lose a few key players, right? But they have Garrett Cole left, Carlos Correa left. A few other of their key guys have left, and they've just developed an incredible pipeline there. And, you know, uh, James Click is the general manager, obviously, formerly with the Rays. I mean, he stepped into some of this. It wasn't all his creation. They obviously got rid of their previous general manager, Jeff Luna, as a result of the cheating scandal. Uh, but they built quite an operation over there. They built a lot of depth. They really mined the international market to sign a lot of pitchers. I know there's been a lot written about, like, Framber Valdez signing for, like, $20,000 as a 21-year-old, which – 
for Latin American players is quite old. Those kids are often signed at 16 and 17. Uh, the job they've done there, the job that they've done with some trades. You know, the Rays got Jose Siri, who they value very highly, and he he lost his job there. He wasn't even uh, playing regularly for the Astros. He was in the minor leagues at, uh, several times this year. So they really have a lot of depth. They built a lot of things. How do the Rays close that gap? I think they just have to keep working at it and keep, you know, going with depth. That's their approach is to have, you know, they talk a lot about they may not have the best roster of 1 through 10, but they have the best roster they feel like of 1 through 26 or, or 1 through 40 even. And I think that's the way they're going to beat the Astros at some point. Uh, they've had a couple of good battles with them. We saw them beat them in the 2020 ALCS. We saw them lose to them in the 2019 ALDS. I do think had the Rays gotten past Cleveland, looking at how the ALDS unfolded, the Rays would have handled the Yankees and it would have been the Rays playing the Astros in the ALCS. I feel, feel fairly confident in saying that, that the Yankees were very flawed and the Rays had the ability to expose that and beat them and they could have advanced, but I, I don't think they could have beaten the Astros in the ALCS. Okay. So let's look at that. I mean, I think for the Rays to make up some ground, they need their young players probably to mature even more quickly. And I think you wrote about it that this weekend that Wander Franco is really at the head of that list. They need, you know, Dave always likes to say, you need your best players to be your best players. Well, they need Wander to develop into the superstar probably more quickly to become that Jose Ramirez type in their lineup. They do, and I, and I think that was a, you know, probably not to the Jose Ramirez level, but I think that was the expectation for this year that, you know, he had the impressive debut last year coming up in June, uh, hot for the most part, cooled, you know, got off to a little bit of a slow start, then he got hot, did pretty well most of the season, really seemed to rise to the occasion of the postseason, seemed like, you know, the attention, the spotlight really kind of ignited him and turned him on, uh, and, and I think the Rays were anticipating that this year, um, he obviously didn't do that. He was one for nine in the two games that we know the pitching was really tough, but it was such an injury marred season. And, and I thought some of Kevin Cash's comments were really good points in saying that, you know, get him healthy, let him play a season healthy. He hadn't really dealt with injuries before. Uh, you know, this should be the, you know, maybe he learns from this and, and kind of comes out of it better. Wander said much the same, but yeah, ultimately they need Wander Franco to go out there and, and play 155 games or 160 games, whatever he wants to play and be that guy. I mean, Randy Rosarena, we know has a lot of talent, but we also know he's going to be inconsistent. He's going to run hot and cold. That's how he does it. You need Wander to step up and be that guy. I mean, Josh Lowe was supposed to be a guy this year. That didn't work out. Uh, he may get another opportunity next year. Uh, we've seen some other players. Brandon Lau obviously missed a lot of time with injury uh, this year. We know some of the other players who were hurt, but yeah, the key to the race success has been part of this model is having young players play above their experience level, basically above their pay grade, so to speak. And the Rays need that to continue. And we'll get into that a little bit further, but while they're also trying to figure that out, because the off season doesn't truly begin until what, five days after the world series ends, they do have some things going on with their staff. In fact, we just learned before we recorded this, Rob Metzler, who's headed up the draft work is gone to become a vice president with the Detroit Tigers. And we're still wondering from a coaching standpoint, while the Rays have added uh, Jorge Moncada as their bullpen coach for Stan Borowski, is Matt Cochero going to be back? And what is the trickle down if he's not? Yeah, and you know, look, Matt's interviewed for, I think, four or five jobs uh, in previous off seasons. He's a guy that you hear his name mentioned uh, in, in any conversation, really, about when someone's looking for who might be a good uh, person to step into a managerial role from a coaching role. Obviously, comes from great stock, worked under Terry Francona, worked under Kevin Cash. Those are two pretty good guys. Uh, to learn from. 
do I think Matt will get a job this year? I mean, there's three still open as we record this. Uh, we know for sure that he's interviewed with the Marlins and he is interviewed with the Royals. Don't know yet if he interviewed or not with the White Sox. Not sure where they are in the process. Uh, could I see him fitting in with both of those teams? I, I certainly could. Uh, if he does get one of those jobs, there will be some trickle down. I don't know if it'll be a simple, just a one for one move where Kevin Cash names someone else, the bench coach replaces that guy, or he moves a couple parts around. I've heard some different scenarios uh, kicked around. You wonder if Brady Williams, the AAA manager, would, would get an opportunity to come to the big league staff uh, at some point if there are some changes made. So it'll be curious to see uh, how Kevin Cash handles that if Matt leaves. We know Matt's had a huge role uh, as kind of the organizer and the, the stable voice. I know they sometimes refer to him as the no-fun police among the coaches because uh, you know he, he's kind of like the Neil. He's like the every guy grinding every day, always serious, getting the job done. He's kind of the Neil of the coaching staff. And I, I do think that you know they would have a huge void if he leaves, but I think it's a great opportunity for him if he gets it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And speaking of voids, look, Rob Metzler has headed up the draft the last several years, too. That's a Look, you don't have to worry about the draft technically until June, but there's a lot of work to be done before that. And there has been done some work prior, but um, that's a lot of change, too. It is. And, and, you know, it actually is kind of a key time because, you know, there was fall league things that were going on uh, from the pro level, but there's also uh, perfect game showcases and things like that that are going on almost year round now. Uh, there's, you know, national teams playing under 16, under 18 teams, things like that, players who are draft eligible. And the thing is, they always look at the draft. You know, we, we focus on the upcoming draft, but the scouts are looking at two or three drafts ahead. They're out there watching sophomores. Uh, in high school and juniors in high school as well, knowing they're gonna their class comes up in a year or two. So there is a lot of work, and, and Rob did a, a tremendous job. He kind of took over and brought more of a, I think, probably at least you could say a balanced approach, if not more of an, an analytical, uh, more sophisticated, computerized, more organized approach, whereas the past arrays, I think, were more traditional scouting. And, and obviously some of the results really speak for themselves and some of the players they've taken. There have been some injuries that have marred some of the picks, but some of the guys that have risen pretty quickly through the draft, certainly we're going to look at Taj Bradley uh, as the number one prospect now who was a draft pick and came up through the system. And just to see how they how they kind of proceed and where they go internally, I would assume, uh, as far as naming a replacement for Rob. But, yeah, anytime a guy with that much internal knowledge, 15 years with the Rays, seven as scouting director, leaves, that's also going to create a void. And then you also wonder, it's like, you know, just the intellectual departure. I and mean, we've seen this happen. There's, I think, six teams. This will be a segue for you. I think there's six teams, including both teams in the World Series, that have general managers who have raised backgrounds. 
Uh, we know there's five, I think, five field managers who have raised backgrounds right now. So that every time somebody leaves, how many of the secrets are they taking with them out the door? Yeah, there's there certainly is a lot of uh, uh, former Rays throughout other organizations. And yeah, you mentioned it, James Click with Houston, Sam Fold with Philadelphia. But ultimately, it still does come down to putting the right players together. And I want to get into some of the kind of the nitty gritty questions overlooking. I think you've written about this, too. There are four race free agents that we know will come uh, or we expect will be come the end of the season, uh, assuming Kevin Kiermeyer's option is declined, which I think we're all anticipating. Do you think any of them at some point would return to the Rays for the 2023 season? And I'm talking about Corey Kluber and Mike Zanino and Kevin Kiermeyer and David Peralta. Probably the only guy that I I personally could see back would be Zanino. I, I don't think Kevin Kiermeyer is going to come back. I'm not basing that on any great inf- inside information or anything like that. I just think that Kevin Kiermeyer wants to prove he can still play at, at a very high level. I don't think that opportunity is going to be here with the Rays. I think they are committed to Jose Siri in center field. Uh, I don't know that Kevin Kiermeyer coming back and being in a part-time role or, or kind of being there over Jose Siri's shoulder is going to help uh, the development of Jose Siri. I think the Rays do want to give uh, some runway to and give him an opportunity. So my guess is Kevin Kiermeyer goes somewhere else. I think he's going to go somewhere where they have grass and he's going to be able to play on a more comfortable setting. It wouldn't shock me if he went to the Cubs just because of the familiarity uh, with that organization through his brother, but I don't think that's where he's headed by, you know, just automatically. It's funny. At one point we had heard right before the lockout went into effect that the Phillies were interested in him, right? And they didn't make the trade. Then they come out, they go play part of the season. They end up needing a center fielder after all. They go trade for Brandon Marsh from the Angels. What if that had been Kevin Kiermeyer instead? Uh, and, and he was a guy now playing in the World Series. So you, you play that what if game a little bit, but I think Zanino could come back in that uh, he does they really like Christian Bethencourt, what he did for them last year. I think they were down on Frankie Mejia a little bit by the end of the year. You saw that in that Bethencourt started both playoff games, even though that uh, the Guardians were using right-handed pitchers and Mejia can provide a left-handed bat. So I, I think that Zanino could fit. There is a little bit of similarity there in the profile, uh, but I think they value his experience, his expertise, his handling of the pitching staff. But again, does he want to settle for that or does he want to go somewhere where he has a chance to be the number one guy? Yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting question. And then I think the other piece of this is what difference makers do the Rays potentially pursue and what's realistic? We know who some of the big name free agents are. I think you wrote about this as well in the Times. I think the Rays would like to add someone who is a difference maker. The question is, is he out there and attainable? Wait, you didn't know Aaron Judge was at the trop today when you I just saw him walk by. He just waved right behind your door there, Neil. He's doing his site visit now. No, look, I, I do I think they would, would entertain going after a, a premium level free agent, not Aaron Judge, but a premium level free agent. I think they would. We saw them pursue Freddie Freeman last year. Uh, it didn't work out. I, I do think it was a legitimate pursuit. He obviously made a different decision. It seemed to work out pretty well for the Dodgers until about 10 days ago when they got knocked out by the mm-hmm. Padres. But um, I, I just don't know if that guy is there. I, mean, I know you and I have talked about this during some of our pre-production meetings, the Trey Turner. And could he become an outfielder? I mean, they've obviously got a shortstop. Uh, they seem to have some middle infield depth. But if, you know, I, I don't know. If you Trey Turner showed up, would you figure something else out, whether he played second or Wander played third or something? I'm sure you could if the opportunity presented itself. But I, I don't know. I think part of my – where I am kind of hung up right now on the Rays is what are they going to do with the players they have as much as who are they going to pursue? And I know those are going to be related. 
and you can't control the sequencing of that. Free agency starts five days after the World Series ends. Are they going to trade Randy or Rosarena? That's still a big question for me. I still think that's a possibility, uh, and I'm just basing that on how the Rays have operated past history, his inconsistencies, where he's going to be salary-wise as things escalate and should escalate quickly because the numbers he's put up. I mean, he had, you could argue, the greatest offensive season a Rays player has had. No one's ever had. 20 homers, 30 steals, and 40 doubles. And only, I think, five players in the last 10 years and all the majors have had it. No Rays ever had it. So he certainly has a lot of value. I just don't know where they are as far as the inconsistency that he brings with it, how he gets there. Uh, trading him opens up, uh, obviously, a different situation in the outfield. If you're keeping him and you're going to go get a big bat, where's that bat going to fit? Is he have, Do you want to get a first baseman then if you're going to keep the outfield relatively intact? If you have Margot... Siri or Rosarena, Harold Ramirez, if assuming he's back, can be out there some. You know, maybe Josh Lowe's out there. So, you know, you don't really have room for an outfielder. Then do you go find a first baseman who can hit? Is Yandy Diaz back, or do you go find a third baseman who can hit? But you, like I said, the sequence of this is hard because free agency starts before trades uh, tend to develop. Yeah, I, I almost – the fascinating pieces for me this offseason are which young players do they bet on? Uh, based on not only what they did last year and what they think they're capable of, but under the new rules, you know, with the no shifting and also the fact that you can only throw over twice, you know, a more athletic player who can steal bases and manufacture runs may be more valuable. I think we're going to learn a lot about that going forward. And then I think the other piece is improving as much as we talk about the offense, the defense was not uh, as stellar as it's been in previous years. No, no gold glove, uh, finalists, I think, is an indication of that. They were middle of the pack. And I think really first base is the area where they tried to improve last year, that they still need a lot of improvement defensively. Yeah, look, I, I think we all we all have the same feeling that we're not going to see G-Man Choi back with the Rays this year. Uh, and do they want to go out and get a smooth fielding type first baseman? Do they want to split it up? Do they want to move Yandi over there and get a third baseman? I mean, there's a couple different ways uh, that they can handle that, a couple different scenarios they can pursue. Uh, it's hard to figure out which way is the best to go. Do you want that to be a left-handed hitter? Do you feel like you have enough left-handed hitting? Do you move Brandon Lau over there? That's another possibility. You mentioned athletic-type uh, players. You know, Paredes and even more so Bruhan are both out of options. So if they're going to be with the team, if the Rays are going to keep them, they've got to be in the big leagues. Bruhan could be the, exactly the kind of guy you're talking about. Is he more valuable under the new rules than he was before? Uh, do you want to keep him? So, you know, I, I don't know how you fit this all together. So part of that is going to be where the young players, like you say, who they're going to bet on. Part of it's going to be what are the initial free agent moves, what kind of bars are set, who gets grabbed out of the market quickly, and then as the trade market develops. And we've seen them sometimes be proactive in trades and do things quickly in the offseason. I, I don't get that vibe yet, but obviously we know that can always jump out and surprise us too. And the, the one other area that I think is going to be probably secondarily important, but I think it is an important one to watch for, is how the Rays assemble starting pitcher or bulk depth. Because they were at times, remember, they had to convert Jeffrey Springs to a starter. They had to convert Drew Rasmussen or, or commit to him as a starter, which wasn't clear at the beginning of spring training because of all the injuries they had. And I, I think you can count on or you can say, okay, you got Glass now, McClanahan, um, Rasmussen Springs, and maybe Yanni Chirinos if if Ryan Yarbrough is not back as your fifth guy. But then, okay, where does it figure out from there? I do think them getting enough depth to cover innings, quality innings is really, really important. 
Yeah, and I know at one point I heard Eric Neander mention that maybe they go get somebody to be that fifth starter. Uh, maybe Arborough comes back, even though he's going to be in the probably close to $5 million range. Yanni Chirinos. But, you know, here's the other thing, too, and, and not in any way, you know, casting doubt on any of these guys, but McClanahan had, had some injury issues this year. Glasnow is going to be under somewhat of a limit innings-wise. Not, not ridiculous, but there's going to be some control, some shorter games, probably some extra days, maybe a skip turn here or there to kind of keep him under a reasonable number. Rasmussen is always a guy they try to be careful with. We've had two Tommy Johns. Jeff Springs is a guy that just because of the extension of workload from last year to this year was so extreme, they're probably going to be a little careful with him. So there's almost like a little bit of an asterisk on everybody that they have in the rotation to where, yeah, maybe you need, you're not going to bring Corey Kluber back. Corey Kluber is going to go off and probably get a two or three year deal at a ton of money because of what he did this year for the Rays and made every start. Uh, but you maybe you need somebody like that who's going to be able to go out and if needed, give you 150 innings, 160 innings, make 25 or 30 starts if you need them to, and probably with not a significant investment, so if you don't need them, you don't feel like you're you're wasting that money or that opportunity or if you need to move on from the guy as well. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be fascinating to see how the Rays manage this, and a guy who's going to be following this all offseason long is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks so much for being with us on our latest podcast. Anytime, Neil. And we will probably have our next podcast after the World Series unless there is some major news between now and then. So thanks so much for listening. Check out our blog at raceradio.moblogs.com, and we will chat with you soon. <laughs>